How do you live your life? How do you want to live your life? Most people live their life the, the world's way. Just the way of the world around us, the way that's apart from the Lord. The way that our sin nature would just kind of go on its own. But there are some, there are some who desire to live life God's way, by his grace through faith in Christ. And Abraham, we're going to be looking at Abraham. Abraham is an example for us of that kind of life. A life by the grace of God lived by faith. In 1 Corinthians 10.11, it refers to the Old Testament events and says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then in Hebrews 11, you have this whole list of examples of, of living by faith, and each person listed has one verse devoted to their example, with two exceptions. Moses has six verses, Abraham has 12 verses. He, he's referred to as the father of faith. He's the one there back in Genesis and then quoted in the New Testament. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He is an example for us of genuine faith, of living by faith. Now some people will think, how can a guy that lived almost 4,000 years ago be an example for me in any real practical way for my life. Life's so different now. But actually it isn't. Life from Adam to today has really not changed since his fall, has really not changed that much. I, I, I like the way D. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says, the only difference between the age of Abraham and today is the rate at which we do the things they did. What did people do in the time of Abraham? They ate and they drank. They made love and they made war. The only difference is that they traveled on foot or camel instead of by car or plane. The, un the unutterable superficiality of this age to which you and I belong is that because we rush about in a semi-lunatic manner, we say how superior we are, how different. It's pretty insightful. He goes on, we have the same circumstances, the same world, the same difficulties. And yet here's a man who stands out. He overcame it all. He lived like a giant. He lived like a nobleman, a friend of God. That is the life to live. Now, the scriptures don't present Abraham as a perfect man, not even close. He stumbled in his faith along the way. We can go back and find two examples where, and he repeated the same mistake basically twice, where he lied, endangered his wife's purity, endangered... God's promises of the Redeemer, the, the, the seed, the line of the Redeemer, all because he selfishly wanted to protect himself. He wasn't perfect. But the Lord gave him faith. The Lord forgave him. The Lord blessed him. In fact, in those accounts, the focus is not on his sin, although that was sin. The focus was on the Lord intervening to protect his plan, to keep his promises to and through Abraham. And God's always that way. That's encouraging. Because the example of faith here in Abraham is not for perfect people. It's for us. It's for you and me. We, we 
we have a tendency, we can look at Abraham, well, I can never be that. Well, he was that by the grace of God. He was a man of faith by the grace of God, and we can be men and women of faith by the grace of God as well. So this passage, Genesis 22, it's, it's one of the most incredible events of Scripture. It's a particularly great marker as God unfolds his plan of redemption in, in, in his revelation through Scripture. Before we read it together, let's, let's build a little bit of background information in Abraham's life leading up to this point. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord calls Abram, he later changes his name to Abraham, calls Abram to leave his homeland in Ur to go to a land that the Lord would show him. Just go, I'll show you when you get there. And, would, and promise to bless him with many descendants, a great nation, and give him and bless through him all the families of the earth. So you've got these promises, and they start getting repeated of a land, of a people, many descendants, a great nation, and of being a blessing to all the nations. Well, Abraham obeyed. He left, he journeyed, eventually came to Canaan. In Genesis 15, the Lord reassures Abram that the promised descendants would come from a son physically born to Abraham and Sarah, and that the land would belong to them. In fact, in Genesis 15, he, there's this covenant ceremony that used to be practiced in those times, but normally both parties in the covenant would participate. But in that case, only the Lord did, showing that, Abraham, you, you're, you can't succeed at this on your own anyway, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm making this promise, and I'm going to keep this covenant with you. Genesis 17 and 18, God again reaffirms the covenant. He changes Abram's name to Abraham, which now means father of a multitude, when he still doesn't have that son yet. God building this, this faith. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm going to keep my promise. You will be the father of a multitude. He promises that a son will be born to Abraham and Sarah, and that his name will be Isaac. And that these promises, these particular promises, although there were other ones to his son Ishmael, where he had tried to do it on his own, God said, no, that's not it. I'll bless him in these different ways, but these promises I've been making, it's through the son I'll give you and Sarah, Isaac. And then in chapter 21, Isaac is born to Abraham at the age of 100. Abraham's 100, Isaac's not 100 when he's born. <laughs> And Sarah at 90, so a miracle birth, one of the miracle births in the Bible. And it's not only the blessing of a baby, although the blessing of a baby is an incredibly great blessing, but it's also the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Abraham are, are wrapped up in this baby, this particular baby, Isaac. All the, all the eggs of these promises of the seed of the woman, the coming redeemer, the, the land to Abraham and his descendants, all the descendants, the, the one who, through whom all nations will be blessed, all of these promises are in this one basket, this one baby, Isaac. Then years later, we come to, to our chapter for this morning, Genesis 22. There are four things from this passage I'd like to explore one, genuine faith is tested. And sorry, I didn't have a chance to prepare printed notes. So just find something if you, want, if you want to keep some notes. Genuine faith is tested. Secondly, genuine faith obeys the Lord. Thirdly, genuine faith trusts the Lord to provide. 
And fourthly, genuine faith receives the provision of Christ and his promises. We'll look, end up at the whole, looking at the whole chapter, but let's read verses 1 through 14 to get the flow of the story, because events are stories. And then we'll come back and start breaking it, breaking it down. So Genesis 22, beginning at verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. He said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. So first, genuine faith is tested. Verses 1 and 2 again. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. God had given the promises and they all rested in Isaac, as we just mentioned. And it depended on Isaac growing up, and he was growing up. We'll talk about his age in a little bit, but, but also marrying and having children before he died. Those things hadn't happened yet. And so Abraham here is faced with an apparent conflict between God's promise and God's command. If he obeys, he has to do so with faith. He's got to have faith that the the Lord knows what he's doing, that the Lord will be faithful to his promises, that in some way, God will make the two things match up. He'll keep his promise, and Abraham will obey the Lord. His faith is tested. And our faith can get tested as well. The Bible speaks in various places. For instance, in James chapter 1, it speaks, count it all joy when you encounter various trials because it tests our faith, and, it, and it, therefore it grows us in our faith. P- 
Peter, Peter writes of that as well. There, there are times in those trials and, and tests when obeying God seems crazy or risky or how, we, we don't understand. How can all of this work out? We could start at conversion. Conversion, we're, we're called to forsake the world's way, to forsake the majority way, forsake the way that is all we have known. Even if we have believing parents, and that is a blessing to have the way of, of Christ around us, but still in our heart, it's still we're without Christ. We've not submitted to the Lord. We've not trusted him. And so we're called to, to leave this way and the safety of all the numbers and the, the natural way our heart would want to go and the way the world around us goes and to forsake it. And we're called to, to give up trying to earn our own way of salvation because that's also the way our heart wants to go. Well, God, I don't, I don't want to humble myself to have to trust you. I want to come up with a way to earn my right to be in your presence, to earn my right to heaven, to earn my right of salvation. And we're called to forsake that. And we're called to rely only on Christ. Where we have to trust, we have to have faith. God in Christ knows what he's doing and will be faithful to his promises. It's not by what we do, it's by Christ and what he has done. And then living the Christian life is the same. In each call to obedience, our faith gets tested. God's word is his command. He, he tells us here his will in our lives. And it's completely different from the world. What God tells us in Scripture is completely different from the way of the world around us. And so day by day, will we obey? Will we say yes to God and what he says, trusting he will work it all for the best for his people, for his glory? And like Abraham, each test of faith can involve what appears to our human eyes to be a conflict. Will God keep his promises? Well, will the things work out the way the Bible says if I obey God's command? It can be simple things, maybe, maybe in our finances. The scriptures do contain promises of God taking care of his people. Doesn't mean all of our wants, doesn't mean we'll all be wealthy and rich. That's not, it's not those kind of things. But he also commands us to give generously. To give to his work, to give to others, to, to help one another, to be, a, to be giving people. And there can be times where those two are difficult to match up. If, I'm, if I give, can I, can I meet all of the things that I think I need? Or, or simply with steward, stewarding our time. You know, God does call for us to spend time with him. In the Old Testament, you think of Psalm 1, meditating day and night on the, on the law of the Lord. Think in, in Luke where Christ uh, speaks of the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then Luke, in the way he arranges things, comes to illustrate that with Mary and Martha when Christ goes to their home and Martha is so busy trying to do all of these things for Christ, but Mary gives Christ time. He sits, she sits at his feet. She hears his word. She, she's wanting to hear from him and uh, follow Christ. And we're called to that kind of example, but that gets difficult. 
If I, if I spend that time with the Lord, can I get all my work done? Can I get all the stuff around the house done? Can I get enough rest? Can I get enough of my enjoyments in, my uh, pastimes? What, whatever it is, we fill it with other things, and we need to trust the Lord. If we, if we follow what he wants, and I'm preaching to myself, and not, and not a, just a checklist, okay, I read a chapter, but I want to see you, Lord. I want to fellowship with you here in your word and in prayer. Relationships, will we hold grudges, look out just for ourselves, be unforgiving, or will we love and forgive and put others first? And that's risky. When we love as the Bible calls us to love others, we can get hurt. And when we've been hurt, we don't want to get hurt again, and yet we trust the Lord. He'll, he'll take care of us. We are, Christ is sufficient for us, and so we should love with the love he has for us and love others. What about confronting others who are unrepentant in sin? That's risky. That's difficult. That's uncomfortable. We might be disliked. And yet the Bible says to do it. And so we trust the Lord and we go forward. Or what about marriage has gotten difficult? Do we do like the world and quickly, quickly head for the exit and divorce? Or do we stick with it and, and work on it and, and seek the Lord to, to help us make our marriage what he wants it to be by his grace? And there are times where the other person just won't. There's abandonment and there's unfaithfulness just ongoing and unrepentant. And there's times where God makes allowance for divorce, but we should trust the Lord and his plan and for life and stick with it and trust him that even if it's a hard marriage and it goes on hard for a long time, that God can satisfy. And he can use us being faithful to eventually win our spouse over and or use that as a witness to others that draws them to Christ or helps them build a beautiful marriage and trust the Lord through it. We could go on and on, staying pure until marriage and in marriage, witnessing, overcoming the fear, overcoming the discomfort, overcoming, uh, well, I don't know what, I, what I'm going to say, and trusting we're, we're just to bear witness of our Savior. Our faith gets tested. And sometimes it's not in simple ways. Sometimes it's very severe. It can, be, it can be death. It can be a difficult death of someone we love. It can be a spiritual uh, attack. I was having a conversation several believers just recently and talking about how there are different points where we had each gone through what could just be described as a spiritual attack of, is God hearing me? Am I really his? Uh, th those kinds of difficult things. And you read biographies of, of great Christians like Charles Spurgeon who wrestled with those kinds of, of things. Sometimes it's that kind of, of testing. And yet I think back of a particular time of that for me, and how, but how sweet it was. What was a, one of the lines about Christ holding on to us? And so we hold on. Was that Allison's song? It's like, yes. Yes, Exactly. I was clinging to Christ through that time, and he drew me to Psalm 63, and I kept reading that psalm. Oh, God, you are my God. Oh, God, you are my God. And how sweet it was when 
when finally the victory came. And it took, a, took, a, took months, but it was sweet. And I grew through that. He grew me through that. There's testing. God tests our faith and grows our faith through it as he, as he tested Abraham. Well, let's move on. Secondly, genuine faith obeys the Lord right away and all the way. Look at verses 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Okay, God had just was giving him this test saying, and Abraham didn't hear the part that we read. God was testing him. He just heard the command Go and sacrifice your beloved, your only son, Isaac. We would surely understand, even if Abraham says, okay, Lord, I'm going to obey you, if he had delayed, if he'd waited a a few days, let me enjoy my son a few days first, and then I'll obey. But he didn't do that. The very next morning, and it says specifically early the very next morning, prepared, going off, obeying the Lord. It's like David in Psalm 119.60, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. James Boyce writes about this. He said, I had learned, he had learned that there is no substitute for instant obedience and that a postponed obedience is usually no obedience. I think of a friend of Donna's and, and mine in Clearwater years ago would tell her daughter to delay is to disobey. You know, we could talk about procrastination, but... Let's, let's wait for a later sermon to do that. <laughs> but seriously, it's an, it's an issue, right? That it, we know what God's word is. If we know what God's telling us to do, we should trust him and do it right away. Abraham sets the right example here. And genuine faith obeys all the way. It sticks with that obedience. It doesn't just start real quick. It keeps going in the obedience. Abraham had to sustain this on a three-day journey. So on the third day, he looked up, and there's the place God's sending him to. And they're just journeying. Think of all those wrestling thoughts. God, you've, prom- you've made these promises, God. How? And now you're telling me to... St- it, would, it would have been very difficult to stick with it, but, but he did by the grace of God. His, his faith was proving genuine. In our Christian lives, our faith has to be sustained by God's grace. It takes, true discipleship takes time. It takes persistence. It's lifelong transformation. We're justified in an instant. When God grants us spiritual life and we flee to Christ in faith and believe on him, turning from our sin, boom, we're justified before God. But sanctification, growing in him, is, it's a lifelong process. And it's messy and it takes time. And praise the Lord, glorification will be instant too. When he takes us home, we'll be like Christ. This week, the Lord took two of our, our members home this week. Uh, Bobby Durrance and Greg Taylor. They see, they've seen Christ, and now they're like he is. It's done. They're, they're, they're now, there's no more sin in their lives. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. But this, this part of sanctification... All the way through it, there's specific calls to obedience. And we don't just begin, we need to stick with it. 
Keep, keep giving when things get tight financially. Give the Lord time every day. And when we fail, again, this is not, Abraham was not perfect, and we're not perfect. And this sermon is not about perfection. It's not about creating a list. Okay, genuine faith, I've got to do this and this. It's about trusting Christ. And when we trust Christ, he works this in us, and this fruit starts coming through. Loving others, even when they're unloving. Share our faith even when we're afraid, even when we're rejected. Share with the next person. Try again later with that person, and so on. Let's move on. Third point. Genuine faith trusts the Lord to provide. Verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Note that Abraham said he and Isaac would worship. Abraham's in the midst of what I would imagine was the most difficult thing in his life. And he could still worship. His his obedience was a willing obedience because he trusted the Lord to provide. Do we respond to the Lord in willing obedience or or do we fight against it? Do we kick and, and complain and grumble with what he asks us to do? And, and note that Abraham had faith that the Lord would raise Isaac from the dead if need be to be faithful to his promises. His, his faith, God had given him a faith that he knew God will provide whatever it takes to keep his promises. That's how he could obey. That's how he could do this. He says to his two men, we will return. We will go and worship, and we will return. He had faith that he and Isaac would come back to those two servants. And if that's not clear enough, let's go to the New Testament. Turn to this one with me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. We're going to look at three of those 12 verses about Abraham here in Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So it makes explicitly clear that Abraham here is believing in a resurrection. That if, that, if, it, if it need be, God will raise my son back from the dead to keep his promises. Because God has promised. And God never is never unfaithful to his promises. He's truthful. He never lies. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that can stop him. He'll keep every promise, and Abraham believed that, trusted that, even if it would take a resurrection. 
I'm going to get ahead of myself. We'll come, we'll come back to that, okay, in a few minutes. So trusting the Lord to provide, Abraham was able by God's grace to be calm and at peace in this terrifying situation. That would be a terrifying situation. If I had to take my beloved son and sacrifice him, it's, it's in, almost incomprehensible, and yet he's calm and peaceful. How could he do that? Well, we're, we so often are not calm and peaceful in our obedience, in our faith, because we look at the circumstances instead of at our, our Savior and our Lord. And Abraham was looking to the Lord. He was trusting the Lord, and he was able to have that peace. Like Philippians 4 just tells us, when there are things that would make us anxious, make our requests known to the Lord, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. He's always faithful. Let's move on. Fourthly, genuine faith receives the provision of Christ and his promises. So this passage, you know, it starts out telling us God tested Abraham. So it's about Abraham, his faith being tested, this example of faith for us. And that's absolutely true. But in that, it's building to this point. The, his genuine faith that God had granted him passing the test is because it's a faith in Christ. It's a faith in Christ as the provision and all the provisions Christ provides. You say, well, this is the Old, this, this is the Old Testament. What do, you, what do you mean Christ? That's the point. It's Christ all the way through. It's Christ all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. When, when Christ rose, the day Christ rose from the grave, that afternoon he walked with the two disciples heading to Emmaus, and it talks about how he opened the Scriptures all, and walked through all of the Old Testament showing how all the Old Testament pointed to him. Because it does. And this is one of the passages that it particularly clearly does so. He, Abraham was trusting Christ. In fact, in this passage, Abraham is seeing Christ in the picture God paints in this testing with him and Isaac. So genuine faith receives the provision of Christ and his promises. First, it receives the provision of Christ. So remember Hebrews eleven nineteen that we read just a moment ago. It says, Abraham received Isaac back as a type. So this event is a picture of Christ, of Christ's substitutionary atonement and of Christ's resurrection. And so when he almost got to the point of, of killing his son and sacrifice to the Lord, and God stopped him, and he got his son back. That was a type of God the Father receiving God the Son back in the resurrection, raising him from the grave. Also, John eight fifty six says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see Christ's day? It, it may include other things, but it certainly includes this event where Abraham is seeing what Christ would do pictured here in what he was doing with Isaac in God's commands. Now, every saved person of all time comes to salvation by God's grace through faith and receives Christ and the provisions of his saving work. From Adam to the last believer, 
it's all the same way. We're all saved that same way. And his saving work includes his perfect life, his substitutionary atonement, and his resurrection. This was true of all the Old Testament saints, including Abraham, and here God lets Abraham see that provision. So let's, let's begin to look at this picture with verses 9 and 10. Now I want to make a note here in the storytelling. Verses 1 through 8 kind of whips through things. We're going to test, give the command, get moving, they go three days, they're heading up on the mountain. It's kind of boom, 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 boom. When we come to verses 9 and 10, time seems to freeze. And every detail is, is noticed in this incredibly um, powerful moment. I, I think of, you know, sometimes a movie or TV making, like if it's a, an, uh, maybe a sleuth type of show, hyper-observant, so there'll become a moment where everything kind of seems to freeze around to the sleuth and he's noticing, you know, all these details, right? That kind of, or maybe even a better picture is a martial arts type situation where in the filming of it, the, the hero martial art person with the, all the other bad guys coming at him all at once has this like freeze moment and you see all these different details and he, and he figures out, this is, how I, you know, this is how I defeat them all at once. But that kind of, a free, kind of a freeze frame effect and it's coming here for emphasis on this, on this moment. So let's look at, at verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So you've got to slow down every agonizing detail of this sacrifice moment. And so we see part of the picture of Christ in Isaac's trusting submission. And I say it's Isaac's trusting submission because Isaac here is showing faith as well. He's not the main character. There's more emphasis on Abraham, but he's part of the scenario, and he's having faith in the Lord also. And James, James Boyce, in his commentary, speaks of how Abraham's faith was contagious Isaac caught it by God's grace and also came to trust that the Lord would provide. Isaac caught his father's faith. Now, God grants faith. It's a gift from the Lord, but he uses means. And he can use someone like a parent, like like Abraham in this case, where his faith is before his son and his son kind of comes to catch it. It's a means that the Lord uses. Isaac could have resisted this sacrifice, the, the timing references at the end of chapter 21 indicate a lot of time goes by, and then into chapter 22. And then going into chapter 23, it seems a, a shorter time passage, and then Sarah dies at the age of 127, which would put Isaac at 37 at that point. So he's probably late teens to in his 30s at this event. Our tendency is to picture this little boy, you know, a little, this young little boy. That's not what's going on. This is a, a young man of whatever age. Because of all the picture involved, I like to think, can't know this, but I like to think he's the same age Christ was when Christ went to the cross. But in any case, he's a young, strong enough man, 
that against a hundred-year-older man, he would have no problem resisting. It was just the two of them. So he willingly allows himself to be bound and to be laid on the wood on the altar. And that's part of the picture. Christ could have called in the armies of angels on the cross. He could have just taken himself off of the cross. He could have, remember in the garden in John's account, he answers, I am, and they all fall to the ground. He didn't have to let them back up. He didn't, Christ willingly, in the plan he had eternally, from eternity past, with the Father, that he would come, that he would go to the cross, that he would die for sinners. He willingly did that. And Isaac is picturing that here in this event. Do, so do we follow the Lord in, in faith in, in a way that our children, our spouses, our friends, our co-workers can, can catch it? Pa- Paul speaks of an, an aroma of Christ. There's an aroma of Christ to others around us as we go about our lives. And, and we can pray that there would be. Pray that just as we trust Christ and follow him, others around will, will see, wow, he... He could peacefully make that decision because that's what Jesus wanted him to do. They may not understand all of it, but they say, see it. They, they see us maybe in worship. They look, they look over, they glance over, and wow, he's, he, you, can just, you can just tell he's, he's loving, praising his Lord, or she's loving, praising her Lord. Faith should be contagious. Now let's get back to our picture and see how Abraham himself is part of the picture as the loving father sacrificing his beloved son. So let me reread 9 just to get into, to come to verse 10. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. If the angel had not appeared, Abraham would have sacrificed Isaac. Earlier we mentioned obeying all the way. When we trust the Lord, we'll obey him all the way, and, and we, we're still seeing that. He trusted God that much. And please note also in, in all of this that faith and obedience are inseparable. As James says in James 2, he's not saying that we're saved by our works, but he is saying a saving faith works. And, and we're, we're seeing that reflected here in, in Abraham's faith. But even more, in that obedience... God shows the sacrifice he will make one day in this very place. His son, Christ, he will put on a cross. He'll put the sins of all his people of all time on him, and then he'll pour out his wrath at that sin on his son. Eternity's worth of wrath and and satisfy it on Christ. His beloved son, the second person of the Trinity, the They'd shared fellowship for all eternity as Father and Son in the Godhead. And so it's pointing to that unbelievable sacrifice God would make, and God does it. In, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's preaching at Pentecost, he, he makes the statement, this man, delivered over, speaking of Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And so we're seeing pictured in what Abraham's doing what God would one day do. God's letting Abraham see, and then all the readers, including us today, see 
Christ and his provision. Let's continue with this picture of the provision of Christ in verses 11 to 14. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked Behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Verse 11, but the contrastive conjunction. It's a glorious piece of, would you call that grammar? Mr. Collins, syntax, grammar, that's the right. It's glorious. All through Scripture, and of course it's a different word in Hebrew and it's a different word in Greek, but it's, it's translated in English, but. You have this about to be a sacrifice of a beloved son by a loving father, but there's an intervention of God. And we see that all through Scripture. Think of Ephesians 2, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. This glorious change, this transition in the story. The angel of the Lord. There are different opinions on this. I'm of the opinion that this is Christ. This is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is God the Son stepping in, calling from heaven. There are several places in the Old Testament like this, the angel of the Lord, where worship is accepted, where that that particular angel is speaking as God, that I think it's Christ. Now, others would argue different. In any case, the the speech is God's. In other words, if it is just an angel, it's the angel speaking God's words in in the situation. And he calls him Abraham, Abraham, and he responds the same way as verse 1, here I am. He's still ready to obey. And he's probably even more ready to obey because he's believed God will provide. And he's waiting, what will God do? I'm going to keep obeying, but God's going to somehow keep these promises. What's he going to do? And so when he hears Abraham, Abraham, I'm, I'm sure he's just so ready to hear God give a command that will be the answer to what he's been waiting to to find out. How will God solve this? And the Lord does. He says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. Hallelujah. I don't have to kill my son to obey my God. But it doesn't stop there. Because God can't just not punish sinners for their sin. He's going to complete the picture of showing us Christ and Christ's provision. But first, for I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So why did God do this test? God's an all-knowing God. All through Scripture, it reveals that truth about him. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows Abraham's faith is genuine. He gave him the faith. 
the Bible tells us. He gives us our faith. So why did he do this test and say, now I know? I think there's at least, there may be more, but at least three things I can think of. One was to show Abraham Christ. Show him this picture through this testing and his readers, so even us today. Another is to grow Abraham's faith because the testing itself strengthens the faith. As God brings us through testing, we grow stronger in our, in our faith in him. And then to be the example we spoke of earlier of genuine faith for, for us today, for, for the, all the readers of this passage. And then he provided the ram as the substitute sacrifice for Isaac. He said, stop. In the meantime, probably unnoticed to Abraham because of the intensity of this moment, he had a ram get caught in a thicket right there. And now he shows that to Abraham and makes this provision. And notice the location. I, I kind of referred to it a moment ago. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, it tells us, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So, Years later, this place where this is happening would be the temple where the sacrifices of the lambs would happen that were also pictures pointing to the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ for sinners. So from then on, every sacrifice would echo out, the Lord will provide, 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 building up to the day he provided when Christ went to the cross. Note also the significance of God's name, not just... What God does, this is who he is. Because he's God, he will also be Yahweh Yireh. The Lord will provide. I am will provide. And so nothing will stop him from providing. It's not just I'm a provider. It's I'm the Lord. The Lord's almighty. There's no one that can stop the Lord. He's the provider. And part of obeying his command to honor his name is to trust him for his provision. Michael Horton writes, Whenever we question his provision by setting out to acquire happiness, wealth, or even salvation by our own strength for our own good, we deny God as Yahweh Yaira, the Lord our provider. Trust him as provider. In all this, Abraham also saw the coming provision for all in Jesus Christ. The future tense, the Lord will provide. Again, John 8, he'll see this, he'll see my day. Abraham longed and he saw my day. Robert Candlish offers a suggestion of how Abraham saw this future atonement by Christ. He said, first, in the placing of the knife against the throat of his beloved son Isaac, he beheld the intense love of God the Father who spared not his own son. Secondly, in the ram, he sees the principle of substitution. An acceptable substitute victim takes the place of the condemned. Jesus died in place of his people. We are all sinners under the wrath of God. We start life that way. And there's nothing we can do to change that. We face eternity separated from God, suffering his wrath in hell. Only God can change it. And he changes it one way, through Jesus Christ. Christ being that substitute 
And he was. On the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God for the sins of every believer of all time. Well, how, how do I receive that? Believe on Christ. If you do, it's because God gave you the faith to do it. But don't sit around saying, well, then God's got to give me the faith. No, he calls you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Turn from this world. Turn from the way of the world. Turn from your sinful ways and trust Christ in his provision. And the third way he mentions being pictured is in the rejoicing of Abraham taking Isaac off the altar, we behold a picture of the resurrection of Christ and his return to the Father. So we let him see the provision of the atonement and the resurrection. Way back in Genesis 22, God working his plan of redemption and showing it to Abraham, his friend, the one who believed in him, and showing it through him to us. You know, we're like Isaac, the knife against our throat, sinners condemned under the wrath of God. And then we're like Isaac, if we trust Christ, we're like Isaac who were given a substitute and we're no longer condemned. The Lord has provided. And he provides other ways too. He provides for our finances. He provides for a time. He provides in our relationships. He provides to help us witness. He provides in countless ways. But it's mainly about God in his sovereign grace chooses his people and he provides for their salvation in his son taking their place on the cross. And then he raised him from the dead on the third day. And so our salvation from sin, our salvation from death has been provided for. And we can trust Christ in that. Trust him to provide for that and then for all of life. In Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how, he will, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Trust Christ. He's our provider. When we do, our faith is rewarded. He provides for us. And we get to rejoice in that. Let me wrap up quickly with the concluding verses of the chapter because they do tie in. Genuine faith also receives the Lord's promises. The Lord here renews and intensifies his covenant with Abraham in verses 15 to 19. Let's look at that quickly. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let me note this. God swears by himself only here in interacting with the patriarchs. He's taking these promises he's been making in a covenant he's formed with, uh, given to Abraham and here he's saying the highest form of assurance I swear by the highest thing against which I can swear myself. 
as God. It's, it's, it's done. This covenant is done. God will keep this covenant he's making with Abraham. What great security that brings. And, and the original readers, remember Moses is writing this in the wilderness. The Israelites are about to go into the land of Canaan. And he makes this reference because one of the promises was the land to the Israelites, the, des- the descendants through Isaac of Abraham. Um, possess the gate of their enemies. It's giving them confidence in following their Lord that he will keep these promises. And, and we can apply that to our life as believers because we face battles, spiritual battles. Ephesians 6 describes how in this life, it's not all flesh and blood stuff. That's what we see. But we have, we have the enemy of our own sin nature we're fighting. We have the enemy of the world system around us, always trying to pull us away from the Lord. We have the enemy of, of the devil himself and his demons trying to tempt us away, create situations that will stumble us in our walk. And we can trust the Lord that, that we will possess the gates of our enemies, that we can have victory because of Christ's provision in the battles of this life, the spiritual battles that we face. And then finally, in the closing verses, he encourages Abraham. I'm going to let you read that on your own for time's sake. But he encourages Abraham with news from his family that they were having, there were children being born there too, including specifically mentioned Rebekah. He's going to provide every detail of working his plan, including a wife for Isaac. I think that's why that, that's one of the reasons that the concluding verses are there, is that, hey, just heads up, I got a wife ready over there. When the time's right, you'll go get her for your son. And they'll have children, and their son Jacob will have children, and they will have children, and they'll have children, and this promise of this great nation is going to come true. And out of those, there will be the line of Judah. Eventually, David will be this one through whom all the nations will be blessed. We have a glorious God who could judge us and send us all to hell, rightly so, but he doesn't. He works a plan of redemption through the provision that's in Christ. And so I pray, how how should we live our life? I pray it's like Abraham. By faith, genuine faith in Christ and his provision. It's not about the faith. It's not about us working up the faith. It's about the object of the faith. God's grace that we are living our life trusting Christ and his provision. And and we become part of this incredible plan of redemption that God has been working and is working and will complete. If you're here and you've never come to Christ, I I urge you, I beg you, flee your sin. Flee this world system. Come and just trust Christ, what he's provided for your salvation. And believers, let's thank him. Let's rejoice in it. Let's grow in that faith day by day, living by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for such a beautiful part of your word, of your revelation to us, that you would so early in history make clear the heart of it all, Christ and his provision, that you set before us in Abraham this beautiful example of faith. And Lord, I pray you would grant us
to live by that kind of faith. Or draw those not in Christ to yourself in Him. We ask, and those who are, grow us in, in your grace, in our faith, day by day, to your glory. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.